0: Please take your Bibles and turn with me in them first to the book of Romans, chapter 13, page 1206 in the few Bibles, Romans 13. Romans 13, we'll read the first seven verses, and then we'll turn to 1 Peter 2. Romans 13, people of God, hear now the very words of God. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. Respect, to whom respect is owed. Honor, to whom honor is owed. Let us turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. It's found on page 1295. 1 Peter 2. Verse 18, Hebrews, James, 1st 2nd Peter, 1st Peter 2. Mm -hmm. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. As far as the reading of God's holy word. Congregation, if you listen in on a playground, you listen to children while they're playing, interacting, sooner or later, you'll probably hear one of them say, says who? Says who? That's not limited to children. Adults ask it too. Often when someone does something that another disagrees with or objects to. That simple question, it gets at an issue, something that binds human society together, that of authority. In our own society, we see that the rejection of authority has led to a breakdown, hasn't it? A breakdown of our society. It's not surprising for us who are children of God, who are taught by God in His Word, the Bible. For in the Bible, God instructs us, commands us, to honor those whom God has placed over you. Honor those whom God has placed over you. First, we consider establishing authority. Establishing authority. Who says that question again? Now, asking that question is not in and of itself wrong if it's done with the right attitude. It gets at who is in authority over us. and That can be a good question to ask. Human nature, fallen human nature, often has one person making themselves try to be a ruler over another, even though that person has no claim to it. There's the temptation to do that even amongst those in the church. The Apostle Paul. He had to continually resist the Judaizers. The Judaizers sought to impose circumcision and other Jewish practices upon Gentile believers, Gentile believers whom God was bringing into the church. God had brought to faith in Christ. And even today we look around at the church scene there are some who would try to impose their own law of morality upon others. You've got to do this. Paul Wrote, inspired by the Spirit in Galatians 5, verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's talking there spiritually. So, who says that can be a legitimate question? So, who does establish authority? God does. And ultimately, God alone. All legitimate authority finds its source in God because He is the Creator of all, the Ruler of all. The rulers in the church, even the highest civil ruler, all the rulers in a household, all find their source in God's authority. And that's clear from the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment is a command from God. Honor your father and your mother. We find it in our reading from Romans 13. There is no authority except from God, right there in verse 1. And those that exist have been instituted by God. There's not one authority in one sense of Satan or the demons. No, it's all from God. Wherever there's legitimate authority. The fifth commandment gets at more than just our relationship with our earthly father and mother. It deals ultimately with authority as a whole is what these commandments do, how they're stated. God delivers these ten commandments in a way that draws attention to the clearest expression of the principle involved in each one. This one, the fifth commandment, deals with authority in general. We find that in our Heidelberg Catechism. Question and answer for today. Uh, Please turn with me in the Psalter hymnal to page 52 in the back, Lord's Day 39, question and answer 104 page 52. Question 104 asks this, What is God's will for us in the fifth commandment? That I honor, love, and be loyal to my father and mother and all those in authority over me. That I obey and submit to them as is proper when they correct and punish me. And also that I be patient with their failings. For through them, God chooses to rule us. So that fifth commandment concerns not only obeying our father and mother, but all those in authority over me. And through them, God chooses to rule us. This means our father and mother, certainly, while we're in the home. It also means husband of a wife. It means the office bearers in the church. It means the mayor, the governor, the president in our civil realms. It means the the foreman, the manager, the president of the business, of the workplace. It means the head of an organization we're part of. It means the nurses and staff of the hospital, the the retirement home, the care facility we choose to enter. Now those who are our authority within that particular realm are for that realm and not outside it. And so the, the civil authority has no authority to tell you how to worship God your foreman has no authority to tell you about building a structure on your own land. In those cases and others like them, if someone would overreach their authority, it would be a valid question to ask, who says? It's God who establishes authority. Not the voters. Not the Constitution. Not the army. Not the natural bond between parent and child. Not the contract between employer and employee. God uses these means and other means. But they're just that, they're means. They're not the ultimate source of authority. Therefore, God always has ultimate authority, such that if an authority requires you, even within their realm of authority, to sin against God, to go against God's commands, you and I are to obey God rather than man. The Apostle Peter and, and John, they voiced that in Acts 4. It might be uncomfortable having to take a stand, stand up for God's truth, God's authority. But God establishes authority. He does. He tells us, Honor those whom God has placed over you. And we want to turn in our second point to something else that's often involved with authority, not just the establishing, but now discipline. Enduring discipline. Enduring discipline. And so there, are Two main issues with authority. One is honoring and obeying them. The other is what we move to now, enduring discipline. As the Lord said in Romans 13, verse 4, He is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for He does not bear the sword in vain. For He is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So God gives us this fifth commandment in part, to restrain us when our authority disciplines us. No one likes to be told they did something wrong. Even more, we don't like to suffer consequences for doing wrong. Not the consequences that come within God's providence broadly, but also not the consequences, discipline, that come from our authority. We were caught. We were exposed. Not only are we exposed that we did not restrain sin internally, that we did not resist sin, struggle against it, but were exposed in a way that we sinned that merits rebuke. With this command then, God restrains our pride. And He commands us to submit to the discipline we receive from those in authority over us. that means not only that we, we take the discipline, but we listen what that authority is saying. What they're saying in that discipline. Children, when your parents discipline you, you don't just take the punishment, but but listen to them. Hopefully they will explain to you, here's what you did wrong, here's why it's wrong. You don't just say, but listen. Your parents pray with you because our heart's stubborn, right? And we need God to change our hearts and soften us. We were wrong we erred. This error, this wrong action, it's sufficient enough, it's significant enough that that our authority is taking time and effort to discipline us. And we need to hear that message from, from someone outside ourselves, someone in authority over us, because by nature we are proud. We're tempted to get offended when our authority calls us on the carpet, but that shows how much we need it. Our hackles rise up like that. God hates pride. Proverbs 8, verse 13, He tells us that very clearly. It's better that you and I, that we're disciplined, and and even that there's shame in that discipline, than that our pride go unchecked. Our society doesn't think that way. It values pride. It values a proud self-esteem over true humility. But God is near to the humble. He opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. In discipline, through the discipline our authorities exercise over us, upon us, God is at work. We often perhaps want to say, well, God's at work in the wonderful things, right? The feel good things. God's at work in the painful things, too. He's humbling us. Give thanks to God for that work, that sanctifying work. People of God, how do you react? How do you respond to discipline you receive? We can think of when a police officer pulls us over, maybe when the church elders admonish you. What about when you hear from God's word from the pulpit and, and toes are stepped on? How do we respond? Don't disregard, don't dismiss. How do you talk to others about that encounter with the police officer, with the elders in, in that sermon? How we talk to others reveals what our heart is. God often disciplines us in stages. He's gentle with us if we think upon it, if we meditate on it. Don't ignore His discipline until it reaches the level of public, public censure, civil fine. Here is discipline as it comes through the milder ways. By God's grace, repent of pride. Repent of all sin. Humble yourself before the Lord and before the authorities He has established over you. Obey, submit as is proper when they correct, when they punish. It's for our good. Even if we think our authority has gone too far in their discipline of us within reason, It's good for us to be humble. Think of what we read in 1 Peter. Now that 1 Peter passage, that really is something for us in our culture. Now he said there, verse 19, this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. God brings good out of even that. Honor those whom God has placed over you. Enduring discipline. Enduring discipline. Now, we want to shift to more positive, more positive aspect of this command in our third point, that we are to exhibit honor. We are to exhibit honor. Now, the fifth commandment, as it's stated in in Exodus 20 it is not stated, submit to the discipline of your father and mother. It's not what we read week after week. But instead, it's honor your father and your mother. God commands more than receiving and learning from discipline. He requires something positive, obedience. Even more, honor. The way the Catechism explains this, it's wonderful, biblical. It says that I honor, love, and be loyal to my Father and Mother and all those in authority over me. So what's God commanding in this commandment is not just a feeling, but an act of the will. Honor. Love. Loyalty. What's commanded here is not agreeing with your authority, but it's a certain posture you and I are to take toward them. To honor someone means you show deference to them. You're going along with their judgment, even their agenda. You esteem the other better than yourself. That's behind many social customs we have. Think, think even of a certain relationship of authority, that of a commanding officer. Saluting your officer. Think then of how do we speak of those in authority? How do we speak of a police officer, of, of the elders, of the governor, of the president? Honor shows up there. Honor does not mock. Honor does not malign. Honor gives the benefit of the doubt. Now that doesn't mean you necessarily agree with them. It shows you realize there are more ultimate things than getting my way in a certain situation. Honoring shows that you realize who's in control. God is. And that in His providence, He's working out all things, even when it doesn't fit with my wisdom. You can, by God's grace, let go of things and not make a big deal of them. You can disagree with authority in an honorable way. You can even seek their removal, but you do it in a peaceable, orderly, lawful way. What would we think of a soldier who refuses to salute? What would we think of a soldier who refuses to obey a battlefield command because he disagrees with the battle plan? says, well, I think more men will go will survive if they go this way rather than that way. I think we'll be successful if we go this way. What do we think of a soldier who would do that? He's insubordinate, isn't he? So in other areas authority relationships. How often we are tempted to not honor those in authority over us? We're tempted to speak ill of them. We're tempted to seek to undermine them. Those are all against this commandment, those are all sins. God calls us, repent of your sin. We think even of this command here to love father and mother and all those in authority over me. Love is not just a feeling, it's an act of the will. It means you seek the best interest you seek to serve. We had a sermon series some time ago on 1 Corinthians 13. Wonderful explanation of what love is. We are commanded to love those in authority love? How can I love him? How can I love her? Don't you know his politics and policies? Don't you know she's destroying the state, the country, our way of life? Don't you know their pride, their sin? Jesus commands us to love even our enemy. Certainly then we are to love those whom God has placed in authority over us. Again, to love someone doesn't mean you're in agreement. To love someone doesn't mean you're an apple polisher. We think even of war, we're commanded to love the person we're shooting against. But that works out for the Christian. Loving those with whom we disagree, as with honoring them, shows that God has changed our heart to realize there are more important things and that God is in control. Our ultimate need, and the ultimate need of that person, is redemption to have our sins removed, to be reconciled to God. It's not to get our way in the home or in the family or the church or politics or at the job. Our job, our state, our country, the church will never be perfect. Not in this life. Even if you were in charge. Perfectly in charge. If you were a dictator. These are not the kingdom of heaven. Well, the kingdom of heaven flavors. It changes everything. But our hope is not in these things things the world's hope is the world has no view of eternity of heaven there the world has only unbeliever has only what it can get now so it thinks these are ultimate because you die and that's it don't take on the thinking of the world god sent his son jesus not to advance man's institutions and projects for themselves He sent Jesus to die to sin, to put sin to death, to wipe away the fallenness of this creation and to bring resurrection. And by His death on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, Jesus has done that. The Kingdom of Heaven has come. And all those who entrust themselves to Jesus, you are forgiven. Regardless of what your authority says or does to you, God forgives all your sins, believer. Trust Him. And see, that matters. What matters is not so much a specific decision your authority makes, but faith working through love. That's what Paul says in Galatians. God is accomplishing His plan for this world. For this creation. And His plan not only takes account of sin and sinfulness, but but turns it to our good and God's glory. Trust Him as you trust in God, in trusting yourself to God, to His love and grace in Christ, then you can leave these things in God's hands. Then you can in the power of Christ's Spirit honor, love, and be loyal to your father and mother and all those in authority over you. Those involve important issues, certainly. Not the most important. Just like... We are to be busy in the six days with our work and our leisure. Those are important. But the seventh day God says, come away. So too, realize what's more important. God's taking care of the most important in Jesus. He is Savior. Not family, not church, not country, not job. That's one reason we need to hear the Gospel every week. To remind ourselves throughout the week because we're tempted to get so worked up over other things. Things that, yes, are important in their realm. Things we are to be involved in, yes. But things we aren't to be worried about or get anxious about. God's in control. Our duty is to honor those whom God has placed over us. Those whom God chooses to rule us. And think back to Jesus. He's wisdom incarnate his way perfectly right and true yet God placed Jesus under authority and Jesus submitted himself to be under the earthly authority of his parents of the Jewish religious leaders of the pagan empire of Rome when Jesus was being tried before Pilate Jesus acknowledged Pilate's authority that was given from above he didn't mock him he didn't rail against him even with that miscarriage of justice. Now, Jesus is a, a unique situation as the Redeemer who had to suffer and die for sins. Yes. But he's also an example for us in these things. Because what does Peter say? One of the rare times in the New Testament we are actually told Jesus is an example, not just the bearer of sin, but an example. What credit is it if you, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. Look through the New Testament where it says Jesus is an example. One of the rare times. And it's with this. boy, do we need to hear that. If this is what God did through the greatest miscarriage of justice, the greatest abuse of authority, if ever there was an abuse, it's there. Don't worry about how God is at work in your and my struggles. Trust Him. Follow in His. That's Peter's message here. And you can read broader before and after too to get more even of context. But also pray for governing authorities. That's part of the loving, the honoring, being loyal. Pray for police officers. Pray for your foreman, your boss. Pray for the president. Pray for the consistory. Children and young people, pray for your parents. Don't pray that you would get your way. Pray for their souls. Pray that God would give them wisdom. There are different ways in the Scripture that tell us how to pray. Pray that they would realize they're servants of God and act accordingly. Pray for them. As you pray for them, as you honor them also, we move in our fourth point, extend patience to them. Extend patience. When you're praying for someone, when you're consistently, truly, from the heart praying for someone, interceding, it's hard to hate them. It's hard to dishonor them. It's hard to disobey your authority when you're truly, sincerely praying for them consistently. They'll make mistakes. Real mistakes. Real, sometimes big mistakes. And errors. Maybe you'll be right. Maybe they'll be wrong. And maybe time will bear that out. But again, our hope isn't in being right here on this earth, making a right earthly decision. Our hope is in heaven. It's the unbeliever who rails against authority, who strives for his or her own agenda, because again, the unbeliever has no hope of eternal life. The unbeliever is not looking unto Jesus as an example. The unbeliever doesn't say, Christ suffered for my sins. I can learn from this. All their hopes and dreams are in this life. It makes sense, although it's wrong, from their point of view, to push their agenda, regardless of what authority says. It's the only chance they have, the only opportunity. They only get one chance. But that's not for us. Again, First Peter 2, with servants who are entreated unjustly, it is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. When you do good and suffer for it, you endure. That is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It's evidence that God's changed you. God has entered into this fallen, broken world and He's changing people to bear up under injustice. What's the connection there again in 1 Peter 2? It's to Christ. This you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so you might follow in his steps. But, but, but! The unbelieving world yells and does this, that, and the other thing. Even kills for what they say are its rights. See that all around us. I have this right. Believer, hope in God. Hope in Christ. Your identity is in Christ, not here below. Our hope is in heaven. It's a gracious thing when one endures sorrows. That's God's Word. The world doesn't think so. The world says someone like that is weak. Who are you listening to? What podcast are you listening to? The world or Scripture? Oh, we should stand up for others. the Rights and dignities of others to protect them. We shouldn't just sit back and say, well, it's all fine with me when there's injustice in the world. How easily, though, our righteous anger twists to self-righteousness, twists to rebellion. Extend patience to those in authority over you. Not just those who are good and gentle, Peter tells us that, but also to the unjust. That's what God says in verse 18 there. Be patient. We all make mistakes. Even those who are in authority over us. Don't hold grudges for mistakes. Don't demand your pound of flesh from your authority who was mistaken or even who is unjust. It's not what we're called to. Be patient with their failings. God is in control. God's working out all things. It's a gracious thing. When mindful of God, you endure sorrows. You endure them. God won't forget. God will graciously reward you. It's evidence of His grace that you are enduring these sorrows. Trust Him. And That's good to examine ourselves, congregation. We have a week of self-examination this coming week as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. We can reflect, how are we being patient with the failings? Of father, mother, those in authority. Where there isn't, you need to repent. And maybe you need to go to them and confess your sin to them and say, I'm sorry. I have not obeyed you or honored you. Will you forgive me? So many homes where relationships between children and parents, husband and wife, strained, broken, because of sin on both parts. Well, you can't control the other person, you're not called to. Peter doesn't address the unbelieving, unjust master here. He talks to the believing servant. Confess your sin of not honoring, not loving, not being loyal to authority, not being patient with failings. This command is to those who are under authority. The Westminster Standards, they talk about duties of authority toward those under authority, but our, our standards don't address that. There are duties of those in authority over those authority. They have under-authority. There's sins there too. And they need to confess their failings, to be humble and admit their mistakes. But as you do this, as you follow in His steps, people ask you, why? Why are you doing that? You're just an apple polisher? What is this? You've been given an opportunity to evangelize. And Peter shows you the way. He he gives us the words. Christ. You can almost repeat these words to someone who asks you why you're doing that. To evangelize and point out Jesus. You've been given that which is most important. You've been caught up into the kingdom of heaven. Praise God for that. Honor your father and mother. That's the way of righteousness. That's the way our Savior walked. Blazing that path. A perfect submission for us. Perfect righteousness. And it's ours through faith in Jesus. And it's also imparted to us by His Spirit. So we can, by His grace, follow in His steps. By God's grace, do so. Honor those whom God has placed over you. And in that, may God receive all the praise. Amen. Heavenly Father, You have sent Your Son. He is our sin bearer. Peter makes that clear. But Peter also makes clear He's our example. And we are to follow in His steps. Lord, work in our hearts the desire to follow in His steps. And when we are asked, how, why are we doing that? Give us the boldness to point to Jesus to show His submission and how You worked mightily through that. We pray in Jesus' name.